Greetings, Liquid Church. I am Star-Lord, leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy. I want to welcome you to week two of our series, At the Movies. Who's excited? All right. Well, actually, I'm Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. If you want, you can call me Star-Lord. I will answer to that. But... Uh, I am super excited that we are in this new series, week two of At The Movies. Last week, we looked at the movie Hacksaw Ridge, looking at some of the spiritual themes in that movie. Today, we'll be going into Guardians of the Galaxy. And then next week, we'll be looking at Wonder Woman and looking at some of the themes from that movie. Pastor Tim will be back. We'll have a panel of three of our female leaders here to kind of talk about what Jesus says about uh, women in the Bible. So don't miss next week. Now today we're going to be looking at Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, let me ask you this. How many of you have seen Guardians of the Galaxy? Okay. Any big Guardian? How many of you guys love the movie? You're like, this is the greatest movie ever. Who hated the movie? Let's be honest. Okay, uh, who, who's like, what are you talking about? What is, what is a guardian of the galaxy? Like, what, what are you, which is totally fine. L listen, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, it's a science fiction movie. It's comic booky. For some people, it's kind of hard to swallow. There's space aliens. There's talking raccoons. There's a walking tree. There's, there's all sorts of stuff in there. But, you know, if you start to peel uh, beneath the layers, what you start to see is there's actually some spiritual themes that we can learn from and grow from, from watching this movie. Now, before we start, you know, before you get comfortable with any movie, what is it you do first, right? You stop and you get a snack. Last week, we gave out popcorn. Today, we are giving out movie candy. Who loves movie candy, folks? I'm talking, come on up, we're going to invite the ushers to come forward, they're going to pass them down, uh, make sure you take one, this isn't Halloween folks, so just take one, pass it down, you know, you can't have a movie without Sour Patch Kids and Skittles and, and you know, gummy worms and all that stuff, so make sure you get them because let me tell you something, with Guardians of the Galaxy you're going to need your sugar, okay, so go ahead, take one, pass it down. Now, one of the fascinating things that the scriptures teach us is that the Bible says that mankind is made in the image of God. It's called the Imago Dei. What that means is that God is a creator. He's a creative force. And so we as humanity, we're creative. We make things. And whenever we make something, the fingerprints of God are all over it, right? And so the fingerprints of God are in the objects we make, music, movies. And even a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy can have something to teach us about the God who created the galaxy. So why don't we go ahead and jump in and take a look at the trailer for the movie Guardians of the Galaxy to get ourselves set up. Let's watch this. Hope you're ready. It'll be here any minute. Is that a rifle? You don't know what a rifle looks like? It's just swords were your thing and guns were mine. But I guess we were both doing guns now. I just didn't know that. Well, that's intense. See it within you. Fear, jealousy, betrayal. It is our duty to cleanse the universe of this weakness. Throat, put your seatbelt on! Up our price for two-time galaxy savers. Yes! Oh! 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 
you're searching for your whole life. It's right there by your side all along. You're right. All you do is yell at each other. You are not friends. No, we're family. Except maybe her. One of the things I love about Guardians of the Galaxy is you have this team, uh, this ragtag group from all over the galaxy, different parts of the galaxy. They're different aliens, they're different species, yet they come together and they actually become family. In fact, that's one of the themes that's uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy, how, how this group is a family. In fact, uh, the lead character, who is uh, Star-Lord or Peter Quill, played by Christopher Pratt, actually is on a search for his biological father. He, he grew up in a single-parent household, and whenever his friends would come over, they would ask, you know, uh, where's your dad? And he would always tell them, well, you see, uh, my dad is actually really busy because he's actually performer and actor David Hasselhoff. And so, you know, he's out on tour in Germany. He's filming Knight Rider or Baywatch. Any Knight Rider fans in the room? Yeah, of course. Knight Rider's Child of the 80s, that whole thing. And so, He's on this mission trying to find who his dad is, and in, it, in this kind of uh, mission, in this kind of quest, he ends up meeting a being that literally changes everything for him. In fact, let's watch him meet up with this being called Ego. found you. And who the hell are you? I figured my rugged good looks would make that obvious. My name is Ego. And I'm your dad, Peter. How'd you locate us now? Well, even where I reside, out past the edge of what's known, we've heard tell about the man they call Star-Lord. Let's say we head out there right now. Your associates are welcome. Even that triangle-faced monkey there. I promise you, it's unlike any other place you've ever seen. And there, I can explain your very special heritage. Finally get to be the father I've always wanted to be. I finally get to be the father I've always wanted to be. That's how Ego presents himself to Peter as this uh, far-off father figure that wants to be the dad that he's always wanted to be, that Peter's always wanted. And so Peter is really excited to get to know his dad more. And one of the first things that Peter and the rest of the Guardians find out is that Ego is not a normal dad. Ego, in fact, is what's known as the living planet. Now, we're going to get a little weird here, folks. It's going to get a little comic booky. It's going to get a little science fiction. Just stay with me here. We'll make it all make sense towards the end. But ego is what's called the celestial. And they're, they're kind of these godlike beings. They're an entire planet. They can kind of uh, control the, their, themselves in that way. And one of the guardians even asks ego, so are you, are you a god? And ego says, <laughs> small g god, small g god. And as the movie unfolds, we start to realize that Ego's plan isn't to be Peter's dad. Ego's plan is actually to rule the universe. He can't do it without Peter. And he wants to entice Peter to join him on his journey to rule the entire universe. See, for Ego, he is the center of his galaxy, and he just wants to absorb it all into himself. Ego is an entity that is self-absorbed. Let me ask you this. Do you know folks that are self-absorbed? 
folks that it's all about them. Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you dated someone like that. Maybe you've been accused of being someone like that. You see, this whole idea of, you know, people are full of themselves, we say that, you know, their ego is bigger than anything else, right? Or their ego ran away with them. They're an ego maniac, right? We say those kinds of things about them. But from a spiritual perspective, ego can actually mean something else. It can actually mean edge God out. Edge God out. And that's kind of what happens is when we become the center of our galaxy, when our egos run away with themselves, we are no longer looking to God to give us purpose. We are no longer looking to God to give us direction because we want to kind of find out, figure it out for ourselves. And that's kind of the situation we see ego doing with Peter in the movie. Ego, the living planet, is trying to entice his son to, to embrace the, the little G God that he is, the celestial part of himself, so that he can rule the world with his father. Just forget about your friends. Just forget about your mortal life, your earthly life. Focus on being something so much greater, being a little G God. And, and that's what's happening here. But the, the problem is, if you and I live a life where we edge God out, if we make that the direction, if we make that kind of uh, the way we start to see things, what happens is it leads us to probably one of the worst sins that any of us could ever commit. It's the sin of pride. Pride is actually the reason why the galaxy has fallen and why it's broken. Now, when I say pride, I'm not talking about, you know, being proud of your son or your daughter or maybe being proud about, oh, you know, we did such a good job, you know, at work. I'm talking about pride in the negative sense. Pride that says, I need to be in control of everything and everyone. I need to be better and bigger. You know, you may be a small G God, but I'm a little bit bigger than you are. I, I, I'm in control and I'm in mastery of it and you're just along for the ride. That's what pride says. Pride says, I'm in charge, I'm in control, and you're not. So you better get in line. And in fact, pride of all the sins is the one that God hates the most. He even goes out of his way and says this in Proverbs 16.5. He says this. He says, the Lord, say this with me, detests all the what? Proud of heart. You know what this word detest means? It means hate with a vengeance. God doesn't just hate, he hates with a vengeance. He wants to just go out of his way and tear pride apart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Those that make pride and edging God out a way of life and it's something, a pattern that sets in themselves, God will go after that because it's literally what destroyed the galaxy. You see, when God first created the heavens and the earth and he created the galaxy and he created the universe, he created mankind and he had these two representatives, Adam and Eve. He placed them in the garden and he said, I want you to trust me. Trust that I know what is right and wrong, that I know what is good and evil. And then together we can create an earth that is beautiful, that is wonderful, that we can live in and populate. But instead, man, out of pride, chose to say, you know what, God? We will decide what is right and wrong for ourselves. We will decide what is good and evil. We will make those decisions, and we will make them based on what's good for me and my tribe and my nation and my people, and it doesn't matter if we steamroll over other people. And that is what has led to the devastation. You see, pride was the original wound of the galaxy, and humanity was driven from the presence of God. And that's kind of been where we're at today. And pride kind of manifests itself in, in both big ways and little ways. You know, the other day I was at Panera Bread, and I overheard this conversation. And uh, one person was saying to the other, you know, I'm really, I can't believe I haven't been promoted yet at my job. 
they're saying. You know, I have more education than everyone I work with. I am more talented. I am more gifted. I should be running my division at this point. And the person they, they were with asked them, well, how long have you been there? Oh, it's like forever. I've been there for six months. <laughs> you are like, six months? But that's pride. It's that spirit of entitlement that says, I deserve, I deserve to be on top. Then uh, a friend of mine was saying, you know, how he hadn't talked to his dad in over 10 years. They go, well, what happened? Well, I actually can't remember what happened. It was just a long time ago. Oh, well, you think maybe you want to re reach out to him? Nope. He, he, he did something to hurt me. And so I'm waiting for him to, to come talk to me. That, that's pride. Pride that says, I'm going to wait rather than initiate reconciliation. See, pride's that thing in us that says, I'm going to take all the credit and I'm not going to give any of it away. Pride's that thing in us that has us fighting in an argument and we keep fighting in the argument even though we know that we're wrong, but we still want to kind of fight to get our way across. Pride is when we give that backhanded compliment with a little barb in it because we want to make sure that you know, hey, you did a good job, but not as good as me. See, pride likes to make these promises that we're going to be bigger and better if we just live a life of pride and self-centeredness and ego. But really, it delivers something that's smaller and much, much worse. Pride says, you know, the normal rules don't, don't belong to you, you know, but you, you don't have to worry about those rules. Pride says we deserve to be small g gods. But the problem is it leads towards all sorts of devastation. In fact, let's look at an example in our own galaxy in the life of a guy named Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is one of the most famous and most well-known golfers uh, probably in the entire world. And several years ago, there was a uh, report that came out, a woman accused him of adultery, and he said, absolutely not. But more and more women kind of came up saying, you know, I have, they had an affair with Tiger Woods. Eventually, he admitted that, yes, he, he did have the affairs. And so uh, what Tiger Woods did was he actually took a break from golf to try to repair his marriage, but the damage was so severe and was so deep, he, he couldn't repair it again. And in a statement where he kind of gave an apology on CNN, he had said something that was really interesting. He says this. He says, I knew my actions were wrong, but I convinced myself that normal rules didn't apply. I never thought about who I was hurting. Instead, I thought only about myself. I thought I could get away with whatever I wanted to. I felt that I had worked hard my entire life and deserved to enjoy all the temptations around me. I felt I was entitled. See, pride made some promises to Tiger Woods that it didn't fulfill. Pride said, you know, Tiger, you're above the rules. Tiger, you deserve to enjoy all the temptations that are around you. Tiger, no one's going to know. No one's going to get hurt. And that's the attitude that led to the demise of his marriage, but also, many say, even to the demise of his career. The Bible says that pride goes before a fall, and the arrogant spirit goes before destruction. But so often, pride is insidious, the way it works into our lives. It, it kind of shows up in ways that maybe we don't even expect. You know, we, you know, it hides and buries itself behind statements like, you know, Nathan, I don't have an ego issue. I'm not, I'm not proud or prideful. You know, I'm just confident, right? Like, I'm just direct. I know what I want. I'm always right. I don't have an issue with pride. No, you do. You're arrogant. And everyone around it knows it but you. 
And it's an ego and pride, that's not really my thing. You know, I'm sarcastic, you know? I'm fun. People like to, like to hang out with me, you know? And I just kind of tell, I, I just tell people how it is, right? Uh, not really. You've got a critical spirit, and you think you're better than everybody else. Well, Nathan, ego and pride, that's not my issue, you know, because I'm, I'm quiet. You know, I, I struggle with insecurity. That, that's really my issue. Well, if you start to dig a little bit deeper into your insecurity, you know what you'll find? You find fear of man. You're afraid of what people will think about you. You want to control your self-image. That's pride. Because that's how pride works. Pride has a way of insidiously sneaking into our lives, whether we realize it or not. And there's a scene where Ego, the living planet, is, is, is kind of calling Quill out. He's saying, or to Peter Quill saying, hey, you need to leave all this stuff and join me. It's this, it's this scene where he's trying to tempt him to embrace ego, to embrace pride, to embrace small g God. Let's watch. But you know, Peter, it is a tremendous responsibility. Only we can remake the universe. Only we can take the bridle of the cosmos and lead it to where it needs to go. How? Come with me. Peter, only we can remake the cosmos. Only we can lead the universe where it needs to go. See, Peter was being tempted with pride, with ego, to be the center of his galaxy, to be the only one that would take it and make it into his own image, with ego. But if we're really honest, don't we face those temptations every day in our own lives? True, maybe it's not, you know, at the heart of the entire galaxy of the entire universe, but what about our own mini little universes or our little kingdoms that we've kind of built around us, right? You're at work and you're the boss. You run everything. You rule things with an iron fist. You expect your employees to do what you say, when you say it, and exactly the way you want it to. And if they don't, you make sure you let them have it. And they live in fear because you're the boss. Or, or maybe it's at home and you run the house, and you make sure that your kids are on time for every meal and every activity, and no matter what, they do what you say, because they better, because you're the boss. You're the little G God. But over time, when you let pride, you let ego kind of run amok in your life, what happens is that uh, you start to push away the very people that you want to bring close. Your coworkers want nothing to do with you. Maybe they start to kind of undermine you when you're not looking. Your kids are afraid to be around you. Your spouse is avoiding you. Your friends, they stop calling because they want nothing to do with someone who's the center of their own world. And pretty soon we look around and there's no one else to occupy our world with us. So here's the question. What do we do? How do we resist the power of pride into our own lives? How do we resist and actually maybe undermine its power so that we can actually find a better way? And actually, you know who gives us a better way? Jesus. Jesus shows us a way where we can undercut and resist the power of pride and ego so we can live the lives that we were made to live. And we see this in the example of Jesus. 
I want to ask you to turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Um, you can follow along on your Bibles or on the screens. If you have a Bible app, even better. And uh, as you're kind of getting set up there, I want to give you a little bit of just kind of background. Philippians is a letter written by a guy named Paul. And Paul is kind of, before he, you know, he writes this section, what he wants to say to the Philippian church is, hey guys, I really want you to be united. I want you guys to have the same attitude, uh, to the same kind of uh, way of seeing things, of serving one another. And so I want you to actually look at the example of Jesus. Jesus shows us how to do this. And so starting at verse 5, it says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same, why don't you say with me the words in bold, same mindset as Christ. Mindset really means to have the same attitude, the same heart, the kind of the same way of seeing things as Christ, who being in very nature, who? God. Now, I want to pause right here because this is a startling statement that Paul is saying. He's essentially saying that Jesus and God, the Father, are the same. They have the same nature. This has kind of been something that the Christian church has been teaching uh, since its beginning. That Jesus is not a small g God, but he's actually a big g God. So what does Jesus, who is the Son of God, who is the big g God, do? Well, it says he does this. Who being in very nature God, did not consider what? equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself what? Nothing by taking the very nature of a what? Servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. So Jesus, who is a small, is a big G God, not a small G God, sees mankind in our state of pride where we think we are the center of the universe, and he's got a couple choices. He could either take us and then stomp on us, crush us, or he could do this. He comes into our reality, and he takes on flesh, and he looks like a human, he talks like a human, he smells like a human, and he interacts with us so he can initiate reconciliation with God. Because pride creates this gap between us and God, but Jesus steps into the gap to initiate relationship with us and God. And it's interesting because one of the things that the Bible teaches is this paradox about the nature of Jesus. It says that Jesus is both 100% God, he's also 100% man. And yet these two natures are held together in what uh, is called the hypostatic union. It's like a technical term. But the hypostatic union basically says that when Jesus came on earth and he lived uh, as a human being, he didn't use his divinity to accomplish the things that he's accomplished. So every healing, every miracle, every sign, every wonder that Jesus accomplished, he didn't do it out of his divinity, but he did it actually through the power of the Holy Spirit. The same resource that you and I have, Jesus had. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to heal and do miracles and signs and wonders because he said, I'm not going to use my divinity. I'm actually going to use the same resources that Christ's followers have, the power of the Holy Spirit. And if that isn't mind-bending enough, Jesus went on further. He says he humbled himself by becoming what? Obedient to death, even death on a what? Cross. Even death on a cross. You see, I think so often the cross is kind of seen, you know, we're kind of desensitized to the cross a little bit, right? We sometimes have crosses on our shirts. We have tattoos of the cross. We have a necklace with a cross on it. But the cross is really a torture device that the Romans devised. And it was really the most perfect form of torture. In fact, in the first century, the worst way to go was through crucifixion. In fact, uh, John Dixon in his book, Humanitas, says this about crucifixion. Crucifixion was the ancient world's sumum supplicium, 
which basically means ultimate punishment in Latin. It was reserved for political rebels and slaves. And of the three official methods of capital punishment, crucifixion, decapitation, and burning alive, all fun things to do on a Friday night, I guess, crucifixion was regarded as the most shameful and brutal. So God comes in the form of Christ. He is a human being. He humbles himself. He comes into our being, and he, we actually, he actually lets us murder him on a cross. Jesus is actually living out a, a virtue that the ancient world has not seen before. It's the very virtue that is the antidote to pride. It's the virtue that can crush and kill the power of pride and ego in our own lives. It's the virtue of humility. Jesus shows us what humility looks like. It's the kind of way of, of taking power, but rather than using power to, to get something for yourself, using that power to serve others, to, to serve those close to you, to serve even your enemies. And through this ability, Jesus is able to love those who are far away from God, those who do not deserve it. Jesus took upon himself a punishment that he did not deserve. He was the perfect, flawless son of the living God whose throne was in heaven. And he said, I'm going to forsake all of that. I'm going to let all of that go so that I can come to you. So I can humble myself to the point of death so that you can have a relationship with God. I wanted to fix that. Jesus didn't wait for you and I to get better. He went down and he initiated a relationship with us when we didn't deserve it. Like, that's mind-bending to me. Like, the God of the universe, the creator of galaxies, who literally could have just taken all of that he created and kind of crumpled it up and threw it away, said, I'm going to work with this, with broken humanity. What did that conversation look like? You ever wonder between God the Father and Jesus the Son? I kind of imagine it going like this, where, you know, God the Father, he's looking down, and, and the Son comes to him, and he says, Jesus, they're not going to make it to us. They're too struck down by pride. We have to go down to them. Jesus, will you go? And Jesus says, absolutely. I will bridge the gap between them and us, Father. But you see, God the Father also knows what the cost will be. But Jesus, you're going to go down there, and they're going to hate you. They're going to shame you. They're going to crush you, and ultimately, you will taste death. They will put God on a cross, and you will suffer like no man has ever suffered before. Are you still willing to do that? And Jesus the Son looks at God the Father, and I see him saying this. Not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will. See, in the heavenly realms, Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. He comes down to our planet and he submits to death, even death on the cross, so that he can bridge the gap. But that's not where the story ends. In fact, the story doesn't end in death. The story ends with death being reversed and blown up. In fact, it says this in the rest of the passage. In fact, why don't we read this together? Nice, loud voices across all of our campuses, starting with this. It says, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, humility is not weakness, amen? 
Humility is the way of the kingdom. It is the currency of God's economy. In order for us to grow and to be promoted in God's kingdom, we need to go down low and to serve. When we come down low, he brings us up high. Humility is not weakness. It's actually meekness, which is strength and power under control. Humility is taking our power and saying, I'm going to use what God has given me, my resources, my abilities, my time, my money, my effort, so I can serve other people, those that are below me. See, that's why Jesus came, to come so that we could do, so that he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, which is have a relationship with God. And now when we are in a relationship with Christ, we can go and do likewise. We can, in service, humbly serve those that are around us. But what does that look like in our galaxy? How do we put aside our pride and put aside our ego so we can serve other people? I want to give you a couple examples. For some of you in this room, you own your own company. You're the CEO. You started from scratch. And now you're the boss. You're, you're at the top of, the, of the, the totem pole. And you're there, and you've got an assistant. You have an entire staff that's there just waiting for whatever order you have for them. What would it look like if instead of using your power to get what you want, to have them do whatever it is you want them to do, you actually used your power to serve them, to, to bless them? There's a friend of mine, he owns his own company, and uh, he, he decided to bless his workers by taking them all to go see Billy Joel. Billy Joel's okay. But you know what? It was a great way for him to bless his guys. And you know what? You don't have to take everyone on your staff to go see Billy Joel. But what if you brought them coffee one day? What if you got a latte for your assistant and said, you know, rather than you get coffee for me, I'm going to get coffee for you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to bless you. Or maybe you've worked a long day at the office. You've been working for 10, 15 hours. And you get home, and you, you have every right to just kind of uh, sit on the couch and watch TV, whether it's Sports Center or whatever it is, just kind of veg out. Because, you know, you worked a long day, and you deserve that. But w- what if instead of doing that, y- you came home, and you got on all fours, and you, and, you, and you took the kids, and you played with them, and you told your spouse, hey, I'm going to put them to bed because I know you're exhausted. You've been with these guys all day. I'm going to take care of them. What would it look like if you actually started creating that humility culture in your job or in your home? Or how about this? Maybe you're here and you're, you're 20-something and you're like, man, I, I can't wait to get through the week, to get the Friday night, to get the Saturday night, to, to go on a date, to hang out with some friends. I just need to kind of blow some steam. But what if you actually sacrificed one of your nights and said, you know what, rather than just doing something that's going to be just good for me. I'm going to, I'm going to go serve. I'm going to go serve at parents' night out. Serve some of the families at Liquid Church that have kids with special needs because it's not just about me. I, I want to pour myself out to love others, to serve others. How far do we have to go in humility? Like, what, what does that look like? Well, how far did Jesus go? It says he, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus may not be asking you to go and and give your life in humility, but he's asking you to live a lifestyle of humility, a lifestyle of serving, the kind of love where you serve other people, even your enemies, the kind of love that doesn't make sense from the outside looking in, but from the inside looking out, we look with the eyes of Christ. You know, in Guardians of the Galaxy, ego wants nothing more but to entice Peter 
away from his friends. He, he wants uh, Peter to join him, to, to kind of use others, to, to kind of absorb the entire universe together. But Jesus came not to do that. While ego came to edge God out, to make it all about him, to be all about small g God, Jesus came differently. Jesus said, I want to show you a better way. I want to show you what, real, what it really means to be a God. You see, his divinity was revealed through his humility. Through Je- what Jesus did on the cross, we are able to see what God thinks about you and I and how he feels about us. See, if we carry on and live a life of pride, uh, we're just going to live a life where we edge God out in every aspect of our lives. But the cross actually flips this. Jesus shows us a new way of how to approach power. Rather than edge God out, by looking at the example of Jesus, we can use our power and all that God has given us to exalt God only. Amen? Why don't we say this together? Exalt God only. So this takes a little bit of retraining in our minds and our hearts. So rather than waking up and saying, you know, what do I need to do for the day? How do I need to refocus? We actually start to ask ourselves, how can I honor God today? How can I honor and serve those in my family and my friends? How can I actually go the extra step and love my enemies, the people that I have a hard time with that annoy me, that get on my nerves? How can I be a blessing to people, not just in my face-to-face interactions that but maybe even in my social media interactions. How can I love people as widely as possible? And you know, a great example of this is June Bergaller, who actually attends our Mountainside campus. So June, I hope you're okay with me bragging on you a little bit. But uh, June actually serves at Guest Connections over at Mountainside. Uh, She sometimes comes to our office to serve during the week. And June was actually part of the original team of leaders that approached Liquid Church and said, we would love to give you our building so that we could reach the next generation. And through their gift, it was such um, an example of humility. It just kind of exudes from who June is. She just is a woman of great, great humility. And one of the things that June does, before she puts anything on social media, before she puts anything on Facebook, is she actually uh, asks the question, how can I exalt God with what I'm going to put up and encourage other people? In fact, um, this past summer, it was her birthday, and so she put up this post just to, or, you know, when you're, it's your birthday, you get all these birthday posts. And so, you know, when I do that, I always am like, oh, yeah, well, ha- thanks, everybody, for the birthday wishes. Uh, you're all the best. Love you. You know, something like that. That's what I put. But I want you to look at what June posted on her Facebook as a way to thank the people that put her birthday wishes. She says, Jesus renews our inner self in so many different ways. But I know one of them is through the love that is expressed by friends like you. Wow. Can I, can I ask you a question? Do your social media posts look like that? Like, I mean, I mean the amount of prayer and thoughtfulness in something like this, you can tell that she said, God, how can I exalt you only in this post? How, how can I encourage other people with what I write? Because so often in my Facebook and many verses, you know, what do we want to do? We want to point the attention back to who? Us and criticize other people. See, it's so refreshing, you know, when I see what June puts on her Facebook, because rather than simply uh, go off and just kind of see whatever she can do, she lives a life where she wants to exalt God only. But so much about social media is about how do we edge God out and get the focus back on us. But you see, June inspires everyone around her by her humility, by her desire to put God first and to exalt God only. And it's something that she actually sees in the example of Jesus. 
Jesus came to exalt God only. He came to bring exaltation to the Father through his humble sacrifice on the cross. You know, in Guardians of the Galaxy, there's a, um, there's a scene where Peter is kind of wrestling with, what does he do? Does he follow his, his biological father, ego, and, and rule the universe? Or does he do what's right? Does he actually serve? And, and instead of edge God out, does he exalt God only? And so this is where there's a, there's a character that shows up named Yondu. Now, I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, major spoiler alert right now, okay? If you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry, you should have seen it by now. <laughs> I'm just saying. So Yondu, he's like this blue alien, he's got this red mohawk, and Yondu's kind of been a father figure to Peter. And towards the end, Yondu actually comes, and he grabs Peter to save him. And through Yondu, Peter sees something he had never seen before in him. He sees Yondu through his humility and his sacrifice. Let's watch. been your father, boy, but he wasn't your daddy. I'm sorry I didn't do none of it right. I'm damn lucky you, my boy. What? Yondu, what are you doing? You can't. Yondu! Oh. No! Oh! Oh, come! No! No! Oh, no! Yondu takes Peter into space to save him. He sacrifices his own life. But before he does it, he says these words. He says, he may have been your father, talking about ego, but he wasn't your daddy. What's the difference between a father and a daddy? Well, biologically speaking, I think any of us can be a father. But a daddy is something different. A daddy says, I will love you unconditionally. There's nothing you can do that will make me love you any less. But then he proves it by laying down his life for you. Your heavenly father is coming to you and says, I don't just want to be your creator. I don't just want to be your father in heaven. I actually want to be your daddy. I'm going to prove it by coming down, living on earth, and then dying for your sins. The gap that pride created 
I filled with my son's death on the cross. That's what God offers to you. He allowed Jesus to go to the cross so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have a relationship with this God in heaven, with, with our heavenly father who wants to be your daddy. But it all comes when we decide to kill ego and to kill pride. What would it look like for you today to rather making yourself the center of your universe, the center of the world, and actually displace that and let Jesus come in to be the center of your galaxy? Have you ever done that? Have you ever actually made that choice to say, Jesus is going to be the center of my world, nothing else? In a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to begin a relationship with Christ if you've never done that before. But becoming a Christ follower, becoming a Christian where Jesus becomes the center of your galaxy, it's really, really simple. It's as simple as A, B, C. A simply means admit your sin. You and I, the Bible says, are sinners. We sin by the things that we do. We sin by the things we do not do. We sin by the thoughts in our own lives, by our own greed and jealousy and anger and lust and rage, all those things in our own hearts, our pride. These are the things that actually create the gap and separate us from God. Are you ready today to admit that you're a sinner? And then B is to believe in Jesus. Jesus came, God in the flesh, so that he could live the life that we couldn't live, and he could give us the perfection that we could never attain on our own. So when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ on us. And when he sees it's just as if we've never sinned, and just as if we've always obeyed through Christ. Are you ready to believe that Jesus is God and he died for your sins today? Finally, commit. Are you ready to move from a place where you've lived your life edging God out, saying, I'm the one that calls the shots for my galaxy and my universe and my world, to actually say, I'm going to exalt God only. I'm going to make him the center of my galaxy and the center of my universe. Are you ready to commit to following Christ? If that's you today, maybe today you're finally ready to take that next step to become a follower of Jesus. I want to lead you in a prayer. And this is a prayer, it's just a way for you to kind of begin that relationship with God. There's nothing magical about it, about the words, but it's a way for you to begin to move from a life where you edge God out to exalt God only. In fact, I want to ask all of our campuses everywhere to actually, let's all pray this together. I'm going to say every phrase. I'm going to ask you to repeat it after me. Uh, we're all going to say it together so you don't have to feel like you're doing this alone. But we're going to do this together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I'm separated from you, and I need you to fill the gap. I choose today to believe that Jesus is God and that he was killed for my sins so that I can have a relationship with God. I choose to commit to follow you for the rest of my life instead of edging you out, I will exalt you only. I declare this 
In the name of Jesus, amen.